be seated. The title of this sermon is Some More Convenient Season. Today I'm going to speak to you about neglect, about good intentions, about follow through, about things that should have uh, been attended but you put off, pushed back, and back, and back, and back, because that is the way we do it so often. This sermon is about delay. It's about laziness. It's about slothfulness and procrastination. It's about sluggards. I'm in the book of Proverbs. I would like for you to open your Bible to that location, chapter 24. Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. Keep a marker there. Just keep a marker there because you're going to come back and back to this passage many times. I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Webster defines neglect as, quote, to fail to do what one should do because of carelessness, to give too little attention to something, end of quote. I suspect in this very room there's an inordinate infection of this very problem. Most of us have lots of experience, too much experience in this area of neglect. We put off and we've waited when we ought to have been acting, when we ought to have been doing something. There's a rather, rather sobering picture in this text, so that's the reason I ask you to keep your Bible to the location, because in this text we see God's view of neglectors. What does God think about putting off and procrastination? This text also is a warning to those who do it that there are nasty, nasty and bitter consequences to putting things off. Really bitter, really awful consequences. And the third thing that's very prominent in this particular text is that it shows that neglectors can come to a point of no return, eventually reach the end of their opportunities. So I want to talk first about the fact that God is very critical of neglectors. I mean, God is. I'm just going to give you some outlook at what he says. Look in this description here in this book of Proverbs, the slothful is called a man void of understanding. This is God's language. Sluggard, lazy, indolent, no initiative, procrastinator, the man void of understanding, which is a kind way of describing someone who is underusing his brain. I'm not doing what I could do. I'm not doing what I ought to do. I'm way behind. The biblical picture of neglect is not very glamorous. It's not a nice picture at all. A slothful man 
hideth his hand in his bosom, and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Proverbs 19 and verse 24. He's a constant excuse maker. The slothful man saith, There's a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. Proverbs 22 and verse 13. I want you to let that analogy soak in for a moment. In those days, when the Proverbs were written, there were actually lions living in the area around uh, Jerusalem and north of Jerusalem, all through the land of, of uh, Judah and, uh, and Galilee and, and all of that area. In Houston, there are no lions except down there in the zoo. Every now and then, there's somebody who's had some pet lions or tigers around, and one of them will get out and gets out in the street, and we'll hear that report. So I think maybe three or four times in my entire lifetime, I've heard reports of a lion in the street. Sometimes they were lies, but sometimes there was a real lion had gotten out there. Um, Mrs. H and I are trying to do better. Confession's good for the soul. We're trying to do better at our exercising. We'd like to keep walking. So we've determined to keep riding our bicycles, and especially now that it's good weather, we'll get out in, in our um, garage, get the bicycle and the door open, and we'll get out and ride around the neighborhood about 50 minutes. Can you imagine me saying to her, I don't think I want to ride my bike today because there's a lion outside. In Houston, Texas? Get real, man. I mean, that's not a good excuse. And that's what the... Uh, writer here of the Proverbs, who I think was Solomon, was saying, the soft man saith, there's a lion without. It's just an excuse. I, there's some reason. I have found the excuses are not hard to come by. You can always find one. Most always justify why you're doing what you're doing or not doing what you should be doing. The slothful man roasteth not which he took in the hunting. Proverbs 12 and verse 27. Therefore also... He that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. That's Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 9. Can you imagine that? God equates wasters and slothful people being of the same basic makeup, the same kind of sin, the same kind of wrong. I think most of us have contempt for people who are slothful. I mean, we just do. I mean, it's just a... People do not have initiative. They're always making excuses. And uh, we have some measure of uh, lack of sympathy for people who are, who are uh, looking for a handout when they've neglected to work, when they've neglected to do what they could have done or should have done for their own welfare. And uh, when they begin to reap the bitter consequences of their own failures, uh, it's, it's hard to be real sympathetic. You see that attitude here in God himself. When I provide and provide and provide opportunities, and you just neglect and neglect and neglect, don't expect me to be in too much sympathy when you find yourself in the hard times. There are other reasons why people can have hard times, but sometimes it's just a result of neglect. That's what's happened. It's obvious that God is just not sympathetic with neglectors. Yet, as I stand here and talk to you today, I think you all know I'm telling the truth when I say neglect is one of our biggest problems. It's one of the biggest sins of all. Most of us wouldn't think about going out and robbing a bank, or going out and commit adultery, or going out and getting drunk, or going out and just smashing somebody's car and egging their doors or something like that. We just wouldn't do it. But yet we're real good at neglect. We know how to put things off. We're just pretty expert at that. 
We neglect our own homes. Now, you're going to think I'm meddling here, but I'm just going to get you to think a minute here. I wonder how many houses need painting. And isn't it easy to put off the roof? You need a new roof? Just Taylor was telling me today, he got a word from some uh, uh, inspector, insurance company, so they went out and looked at a house he has involvement with and said it needed a roof, so he's got to get that done. I mean, it's just... That's the way it is. We are neglectors of our own home sometimes. I would uh, imagine it would be a little embarrassing if I asked how many of you need to change the filter in your air conditioner. But if you don't change that filter, it's going to shorten the life of your air conditioner, and you're going to be grabbing like the Dickens in the summer when the air conditioner goes out. Through neglect sometimes, not always. I have a friend named Kevin who had a really nice uh, heavy-duty bobtail truck. And he went to Colorado to buy some hay when he was a drought done here in Texas some years back. And he knew that that truck was leaking oil. He could see on the driveway a little spot of oil every day. Knew that truck was leaking, but he went to Colorado. He didn't change the oil, and he got out there around 287, around Childress, Texas, and burned the engine up. And you know what you do? When you do stuff like that, you can just gripe and get mad at God, and you get mad at somebody, but you're the one. Neglect's really what brought it about. Often the stakes are higher. We neglect our, ch our children, our own children, their spiritual education, and sometimes their own welfare. How easy is it to neglect your elderly parents or grandparents? Just let them take care of their own self. I can also talk to you about a common area of neglect, and it is relationships, <laughs> friendships, businesses. Marriages and churches all require maintenance. They require doing something, some input of some sort, some initiative. You cannot neglect your marriage and expect it to be healthy, nor your church and expect it to stay open, nor your business and expect to keep it healthy and making money. How about education? An area, a big area of neglect. To their chagrin, many have stagnated in their careers and in their ability to make money enough to get by because they neglected education when they could have gotten it. Back there at 18, 19, 20, along in there, when they should have been off in a trade school or in a college or in a university somewhere learning a skill, being an accountant, being something, they were too busy to play and have a good time. Health. I know you know I'm meddling now. It is so easy to eat bad, isn't it? My soul. Just this week, I happened to have just a routine visit to the heart doctor. And as Margaret and I were in the little waiting room area, I uh, saw a little, little um, gadget sitting here on the side of the table. And I picked it over. It's just about the size of a postcard on the bottom sitting on a base. And it had uh, four pieces up here on the top at the... Uh, could just be hinged back and you could look inside. And it had on here a healthy heart and valve. Pulled the next one over, it had a little fat growing in there. You could see the yellow streak in it. Pulled the third one over, and it had a whole bunch of stuff in there. And you pulled the fourth one over and the thing was clogged up and it looked awful. It's a it's a little graphic of our arteries. And about Particularly this uh, 
disease called arthrosclerosis. You know, when you get this fat in your system and it gets into your arteries and you get to having shortness of breath and maybe you faint one day or have something worse than that and you go into a doctor and they do this uh, angiogram on you and go inside there with a little camera and look and you got all that stuff in there. And it's easy to say, oh my God, what's wrong with me? And why, God, did you allow this to happen to me? When it was those nice steaks, and it was that nice potato with all that butter in there. It was all, I, as I said, I knew you knew I'd be meddling with you here when I talk about this, but maybe you'll forget it before the end of the sermon won't egg me before we get out. I'm just talking about reality, you know, about how we get where we are and how we so often want to blame somebody else for where it being where we are when it is absolutely our own fault. How about finances? How about money? Boy, it's easy to be the proverbial grasshopper who takes care of everything, looking pretty nice. I've got lots of money when it's the summertime, but I'm not thinking about winter. Living beyond your means makes you the proverbial grasshopper. You can't keep spending more than you're making and keep on staying afloat. It's going to catch up with you somewhere down the road. It's just a matter of time until it'll happen. You cannot forget about tomorrow with your money and live as if today's the only day you're going to have in your life because you may live to be as old as me. <laughs> you're going to still need to eat. Believe me, I get just as hungry today as I did when I was 20. And I tell you, there are a lot of things I still need. I need a bed to sleep in. Probably I feel back I need it more than I did when I was 20. I could sleep on a couch when I was 20. I hate sleeping on a couch now. The reality is, needs continue. And while you're in this today, you need to be thinking about my money situation when I'm no longer able to work at a regular job. And then this thing they call retirement. There are certainties. I don't want to get too much onto my soapbox here this morning, but I have to say a little about this because it's a perfect opportunity. Known certainties. You say, well, what would be a known certainty? Well, a known certainty, or at least close to certainty, is old age. If you don't die young, you're going to get old one day. Maybe a gunshot wound. Maybe a car wreck. Maybe an early heart attack. Or some of those things will take you out at 30 or 40. Maybe a cancer will do it. But the odds are you're going to live to be at least 60 or 70 years old. And you know you are. We all know that we're going to live at least out there somewhere, probably much older than we are when we're thinking about it. We know that when you die, and we know that is a certainty, not a maybe so, it is a certainty. And we know that when we die, that a funeral is going to cost lots of money. It's probably going to cost at the very cheapest one you can get, about $10,000 or close to it. You're looking now at funerals running about $20,000 or above. One, that's not one, two, that's just one funeral. And what you may not realize is if you pay for a funeral in advance today, you'll get a certain price. If you wait until uh, the person that's died, you, you won't be doing what your wife or your husband or kids do. After you die, it's 10% higher the next day. 10% higher. Just by waiting one day. You can figure you're adding another 1000 or $2,000 just to the, 
Now, somebody is going to bury you. And you know that it's going to have to happen. And so now, because most people are not uh, made much provision, they're looking cremation. And I don't get in a war with people to cremate, but I will tell you, cremation is a heathen practice. Cremation started with heathens who didn't believe in the God of the Bible. They believed that parents or their ancestors are up there somewhere in spirits or a wolf or a dog or some ancestral worship or animal worship. And they put a person like in India on a pyre or a big, big uh, bit of wood, that dead body on that wood, and set it on fire and burn that person so that the body releases the spirit to the parents and the grandparents and to the wild, to the wolves. I don't want to be cremated. I, I preach funerals, people are. I'm just telling you, I'm a Christian, and I want to be showing that I'm a Christian after I'm dead and gone. I'd like for my actions to speak where I was and what I believed. But if that's going to happen, you know what you have to do? You have to make provision for your death. And I want to tell you, when you die, all your responsibilities do not end. You won't be taken care of, but somebody has to bury you. Somebody has to pay that price. I've never seen kids yet that enjoyed paying their mom and dad's funeral because mom and dad didn't do it. And I've never seen people that like to go around begging the church or begging somebody else to pay their funeral expense. It's just a reality. What causes that? In most cases, neglect. I'd rather go out and get drunk tonight than I had by a funeral policy. I'd rather go out and have more fun out here at some whatever I'm doing than I had to take care of real responsibilities, including known certainties. I don't even have a will. I am amazed at how many intelligent people, and I've been Christians, and most of my actions with Christians, but not all, who, who, who lived a while, know they're going to die, know they need to get a will in place, but they don't have one. So when they die, the state takes over and has a will, and you do it the state's way. And nobody likes that, ever. And it's so easy. It's just so easy to do these simple things. There's also the spiritual world. You know that there's a lot of emphasis from this pulpit on this book right here, the Holy Bible, and the need to take it into your system, the need to eat it like your spiritual food. Job said that he esteemed the words of my mouth more than my necessary food. This is likened to spiritual food, and just as much as your body needs spiritual or needs natural food, your spirit needs to eat of the Word of God. You say, well, what is some of that food? Do unto others as I would have them do unto you. Give, and it shall be given to you. Man will not work, neither shall he eat. I'm talking about real principles of morality, real principles of work, real principles of survival, how to do it better, how to have a, a healthy and a good old age and die in the right way and be buried in the right way. That's what we get from the Bible. But it's easy to neglect the Bible. It's easy to neglect our children and their spiritual welfare and their spiritual education. I'm talking about how neglect is infectious and how it has a big hold on most of us and all of all the things that are the worst to neglect, it is your relationship with God, your salvation. I'm going to be saved. I'm going to trust Christ, but I have a few wild oats to sow, so I'm going to do that, and then later I'll get right with God. I'll become a Christian, and so many people never do it. They neglect and neglect. I said there are three main things in this section of your Bible, this text section, Proverbs 24. 
One of them is God's idea of what neglectors look like and what people who are sluggards are and how he feels about it. And number two, neglect ultimately produces a nasty, bitter consequences. That's obvious in this text. Look at it for a moment. The field, his field. I went by the field. That's what Solomon said here. Went by the field and it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof. And a stone wall was broken down that had surrounded this field here. It was broken down. So shall thy poverty come as one that tra traveleth and thy want as an armed man. Decisions and actions. Every one of your decisions and all of your actions have consequences. The proactive ones are the inactive ones and the reactive ones. They all have consequences for the better or the worse. Listen to the Bible say so. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. And those who sow the wind shall reap the whirlwind. That's Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7. I witnessed firsthand. I mean, I, these own eyes have seen in my experience in life. Firsthand, the carnage of many who neglected a marriage. It just breaks my heart to see people who get in trouble in their marriages. Sometimes they've come to me. I don't do that much anymore, but I've had so many of those come to me wanting some help. The marriage is in shambles. She doesn't like him anymore. He doesn't like what's going on anymore. She's about to kick him out. He wants to stay. So he comes down to church and makes a little religious fellow. I'm going to do right so I can get her back. Now, preacher, you need to get her back. I've come down here and made a deal of my life to the Lord. You know, the, you cannot neglect a marriage and expect to stay healthy. I was at this doctor this week, heart doctor, and, and his PR was in there first, and, and she asked, uh, what, what is the secret to your 62 years nearly? I said, you got to keep putting something into it. You got to keep doing right. You got to keep courting each other. You cannot quit talking to your wife. You cannot quit paying the bills. You cannot do all those things or not do all those things and expect her to keep on liking you about it. And you can't be mean and ugly to your husband. You have to keep working at it. I courted Margaret. I'd like to think that she courted me, but I think I was more interested in her than she was in me, to tell you the truth. You know, it's easy when you marry and say, I do, to think, well, we got it now. And after the honeymoon, I bet it's usually about six months, maybe a year, everything's over. We go back to being ourselves again. You better not go back to being your own selfish self again. You need to put some care and some good and do some things that are right and keep the romance in the marriage because marriages go bad. I've seen kids neglected. Neglected when they were little. I'm talking about two and three years old and five years old and seven, eight years old. And when parents say, well, when they get older, we're going to start training them right. No, you better train them right from the start. Remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. When they're little kids, they need to be in indoctrinated with the word of God and with what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's evil. But I've seen that neglected so many times by parents to their own hurt. The hurt of the parents who grieve about the thing when these kids get 18, 19, and sometimes younger. I've seen parents grieve and hurt, reaping their own neglect. They fell back here to do the things that are right, and here come a son or a girl or a daughter grows up and just wilder than the March hairs, we say. 
and the kids who are neglected. Oh, I tell you, I've seen so many of them get involved with drugs, alcohol. I've seen so many of them pursue the wrong person in their sexual lives, just get involved sexually. I've buried a good many of them. Yeah, it's hard to stand over a body, a dead body of a 26 or 30 or 40 year old person whom you knew when they were 10, 12 and and in that part of life and you saw what was happening and almost became predictable where they were going to go. You hope they'll never get to this point where you're burying them, but it does happen. I'm talking about this price of neglect. They're not doing what we ought to be doing. I tell you, I have a good many horror stories of old people in poverty, squalor, lonely, put in some home, nobody ever goes hardly to see them, neglected, they neglected. I mean, some of these have told me, when I get old, my kids are going to take care of me. I'm talking about preachers have told me that. And I've watched those preachers and had four or five kids and they got old and the preacher's not taking care of them. The kids are not taking care of them. You know what? They're in a home somewhere where they're taken care of by hirelings who let them lie there in their own bed when they ought to be cleaned up. Talking about the reality of neglecting, waiting, procrastinating, putting off what we ought to be doing looking out for our own future as best we possibly can. I witnessed some really agonizing deaths to do directly to the neglect of health. I mean, hard deaths. You say, what do you mean by hard death? Well, they're all pretty hard, but I'll tell you. You say, well, boy, you get in a car wreck, you get killed on the spot, that's awful. Yeah, it's pretty hard. But I tell you what, you get in a car wreck and you go, you don't have your safety belt on and you go through that windshield and you get about halfway and you come back and you get cut all up inside and you live through it. You talk about harder death. To die by degrees because you had your guts cut open and your head knocked off nearly. I mean, it didn't, live, didn't die. It's harder and that happens in the real world. It's not always just a quick gunshot and boy, it's done. I'm talking about some deaths where I've seen people that, that smoked cigarettes for years and years. Ignored all the warnings. Like when I was on a cruise, Margaret was one year, some, some several years ago, we came out of a place in Mexico and we were getting back on the cruise ship and the last thing was there was a big tobacco store. And they had warnings all around. Surgeon General says, and don't do this, don't do this. And so I said to these guys, how can you sell these cigarettes to people and knowing what's coming? He said, he said, well, everybody's going to die somehow anyway. That was his cavalier answer to me. I said, but everybody don't have to die this way. I watched a lady who was a good friend who had lots of money, could have bought and sold this church several times over as that millionaire Many multimillionaire person lie in her bed at a place on Lake Conroe, which was mistaken many times for the country club. It wasn't, it was their house. She lay in her bed, good Christian lady, saying, I'm so sorry, but I took these cigarettes. I don't want to die by starving, by smothering to death, Brother Hudson. 
what she told me when I stood there by her bed. I don't want to die smothering. But she did. Smothered to death. She's not the first one I ever known that smothered to death. Back here, something could be done. Over here, it's too late. Back here, you can make a difference. Over here, it doesn't make much difference. This mold is already set. I'm talking about the bitter consequences. The bitter consequences of waiting too long. Listen well to this in verse 32. I saw, I considered well, I looked upon it, and received instruction. Listen to that text. Listen to what you're seeing here in this text. Look at what's going on in the world around us. That's what the Bible here is saying to us. Don't just go along with your head in the clouds like there's nothing to be learned. Watch what's going on and listen to it and learn from these, these mistakes of others. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore, he shall beg in harvest and have nothing. Proverbs 20 and verse 4. For years and years on my little scratch pads, I had this at the very top. The sluggard will always find an excuse. He will not plow by reason. It's too cold out there today. It's too windy today. It's too hot today. There's always some reason why you shouldn't plow or sow or reap or do the things you ought to be doing. But he in times of harvest will beg and have nothing. The soul of the sluggard desireth and has nothing. Proverbs 13, verse 4. Isn't that true? Isn't that wisdom? Isn't, shouldn't that come into our souls and say, God of heaven, I want to learn from this. I don't want to be a sluggard. I want to do what I can do. I'm going to do all I can and trust you to do what I cannot do, but I'm not going to wait around hoping and hoping things will be all right. I'm going to do what I can do. I've said lots of times, it's not a funny thing intended to be at all, but it's a reality. God feeds the sparrows, but every one of them has to scratch for worms. I look at these walking birds and these blue jays out of my house and some other birds around, and I look at them and say, you know, God's provided for them with all these trees around here and all these nuts and this grass and the bugs and stone. But, you know, none of them just sit on a limb waiting for it to come to them. They all have to go out there in the cold or in the hot, Every time when it's raining, when it's not, I've looked at these birds like uh, seabirds or, or aquatic uh, birds and how they'll, they'll go into the little shallow water in the road ditch sometimes and eat the grasshopper, I mean, eat the crawfish that are in there or stand at the lakeside and eat little fish when they come around. And, you know, it looks kind of nice when it's all nice and sunny and pretty out there. If you ever look, you'll realize they're out there when it's pouring down rain. They're out there when it's cold as a well digger. They're out there in the hot and the cold. They're not making excuses. Here's Solomon saying there are lessons to be learned here about uh, for all of us in our life. We have to do what we can do. By the grace of God, we have to put our hands to it. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we're not saved. Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. Oh, the agony. Oh, the agony of people knowing that it could have been different, knowing that I shouldn't have burned my stomach up with alcohol and my, destroyed my, my liver with alcohol. I shouldn't have been smoking those cigarettes and gotten this cancer, and now I've got it. And this text is saying, look and learn. Initiative is better than neglect. Prevention is better than cure. Every time it's better than cure. Neglect can be stopped and reversed. And I want to just tell everybody here, by the grace of God, you can change your life. 
You don't have to go on the way you are. You don't have to keep doing the things that are bringing you to an early grave or a miserable end of your life. You can change. That's the idea here. God's saying, you can come to me and I'm capable of giving you new life, giving you new uh, help. But if you keep waiting and you keep waiting, the last part of this sermon brings it out well in this text. Neglectors can reach a point of no return. Sobering. But it's reality. Neglect is that hungry wolf that's always following behind the caribou, looking for an opportunity, looking for one to grow weak, looking for one to neglect, one to grow careless. And he takes that one down and sometimes starts eating the insides while that caribou's still hollering and bellering. Sad, but reality. God's word is not a book of illusions. It's not a book that just says, well, just imagine petty nice things all the time. No, God's word talks about life and real life and where it really is and what hurts and what helps. Neglect is the hungry wolf that's following that opportunity all the time. And there's great potential and opportunity in a field. Look at the analogy in this text here in Proverbs 24. I went by the field. He's talking about a particular field. It was protected by a stone wall. The wall had been broken down, but at one point, look at verse 31, it was protected by a wall. Look at a field. It's a place to, of provision, isn't it? We, you look at a field, and it's a place where people plant crops. And they raise beans and potatoes or whatever they might raise, corn out there in that field. So it's a place of long-term provision, a piece of land a field is. It's a shelter against famine. A field tilled is shelter against, uh, against starvation. A stone wall testifies of a good field. A field that has protection from animals or perhaps even people who might come in wrongfully and break down the things that are in there and take the things that are in there. So here's Solomon saying, I walked by a place where there was a really good field. At one point it had a good stone wall up there. At one point it was a place for cultivation where there's plenty made and people could live off this field. It was a survival place for them. But he's saying here that at some point in the past, this field was neglected. It had a sluggard for an owner. Maybe not at first, but somehow in time, a sluggard came into possession of this field. It had obviously been a good, well-kept field, but along the way, it became neglected and ruined. It is such a picture of life. With opportunity, always comes the possibility of neglect. You can always neglect things. There's a time to get an education, but you can play. You can say, well, I'm just a teenager. I'm not mature enough. And you can go and squander your first year at college. Or you can say, I want a year off or two years off so I can go play a while and not get an education. Boy, oh boy. When a guy or a girl gets down the road of life and when they had the opportunity to provide, they neglected and now they're locked into a lower grade job, or maybe a job doesn't pay enough to hardly survive. No need to blame somebody else. No need to say it's my mom and dad's fault, it's the government's fault. Just look in the mirror. I neglected. Not everybody gets there for that reason. But I'll tell you, we are in America, and we have opportunity running out our ears. Our opportunity for education 
a great investment opportunity comes your way, but you hesitate. And then the opportunity to invest goes away. There's a time to say, I'm sorry. I did wrong. I hurt you. To parents, to friends, to others around perhaps. But you say, well, I'm just going to sit on it a while. Boy, the devil loves that. Just sit on it a while. There's some other names for that. You know, sitting on it's also called procrastination. It's also, also say, slothfulness and, and just not taking care of business. Sometimes you could do something about your eating. You could eat better foods, not so much grease. You can eat not so much of it, perhaps be a little more careful. Eat it, have enough fiber in your diet, and you know all those good things that those people uh, do that recreation uh, urge you to do. You could quit cigarettes. You could get into an exercise program, but then you neglect and wait and think, well, I, I'm too tired to go to the gym. I'm too tired to walk. I'm too tired. I've got. It's too cold outside. It's too hot outside for me to. It's always, always, like I said, most of us are experts at putting things off and finding good reasons why, good excuses why. You could have taken care of the business of getting your will in place, of getting a payment plan. You can pay off a funeral ahead of time, you know, about monthly installments. You can get one here, have a little insurance policy, and if you die before you pay it off, it'll pay you know, not fall on your kids to do. I mean, every day, every day this last year, and now we're into a brand new year, and these opportunities are there and there. But here comes along Solomon, and he's not the only one in the Bible who's saying, you better pay attention. I went by the field of a, of a guy that owned it but didn't take care of it, and a wall was broken down, it was all grown up with weeds, and there were cows in there and all kinds of wild things in there. It was a wreck. It wasn't helping him. It was like one that traveleth. You know what happens when a traveler goes and leaves a house. You leave it vacant a while, it begins to look vacant, doesn't it? The yard grows up, the windows get broken. You're not careful, there'll be some dope people to move in there and take possession. I'm just talking about neglect and what it does, and Solomon's bringing that up. But I have to also tell you that the biggest neglect of all is to neglect your eternal soul. You talk about known certainties. You know you're going to die. The known certainty is the fact that when you die, your spirit's either going to be in heaven or hell. It's going one place or the other. There are not two or three places you can go when you die. You just go to one or the other. One place is awful. You know how hot hell is. I don't know how hot it is, but I know you don't want to go there. I can't tell you how good heaven is, but I'm going there. I'm looking forward to that day. But you have to decide here where you're going to go when you die. And you're not, you, you don't have any, any reason to believe you're not going to die. I mean, it's a point on the men wants to die, and after this, the judgment. Just look around. Look at the cemeteries. They're getting full up, aren't they? They're burying them stock stack. Over to the VA here, they're stacking them now. Sometimes we're building a new building, tearing out the foundation, and we find a bunch of bones. We've uncovered a cemetery that they didn't know in downtown Houston here a while back and did that. 
People have been dying a long time. For anybody to say, well, that's not going to happen to me. I got plenty of time. You're lying to yourself. You may have more years, but you may not have as many as you think. The reality is we're going to die and we're going to go somewhere. You see, the heaven or hell. And the next reality is that if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to have a passage. And that passage is Jesus Christ. You can't get to heaven without him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. That's not a guesswork. That's just the way it is. Why gamble on it? Why think, well, I'm going to wait till a little later day when I have a more convenient season. I'm in the book of Acts right now. I'm in the book of Acts in the 24th chapter, where in this place, there's a man named Felix, who was a ruler, who was a, you know, had authority, a civil authority, who heard about Paul, who was in jail wrongfully down in Caesarea. And, and he, he thought that maybe if he would go and listen to Paul, that Paul might have some pull and give him a little money. But he was wrong about that. Paul was a Baptist preacher. He didn't have any money. But I'm going to tell you, he, he, he went down there, Felix did, with his wife Drusilla, who was a Jew, and going to hear the case about this guy who had appealed to Caesar from Caesarea on the coast of Israel all the way to Rome, Italy. He'd appealed to Caesar to go, and it was a kind of odd case. And you know what happened to him when he got there? And called in Paul, and they set up the arrangement. He's talking. Paul started telling him about Jesus Christ. You know, that's not a hard message, is it? It's this one message. People are lost. People are going to hell. All are sinners. They can't make heaven outside of Jesus Christ. There are nobody who can be good enough. You've got to trust him. That's the only way it happens. It's not by paying some money. It's not by being a better person. You have to trust him in view of his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. He paid our penalty. He didn't pay his. He died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and raised again the third day according to the scripture. He did it all just right. And Paul began to tell him, because listen, doctors need that message. Matthias needs that message. Lester needs that message. Valerie needs that message. Charles, everybody, there's one way to get saved. There's not two or three or four or five different ways. Just one way, one message of salvation. And Paul began to tell that message to Felix, this ruler. And he reasoned with him of sin and of judgment. Talked about the day of his death and that he needed a savior. And the Bible says he was so convicted. This man, Felix, was so convicted he trembled. I mean, he realized what he was hearing was true. He could have trusted Christ. He could have believed on a savior, or the Savior had been born in the family of God and gone to heaven when he died. We don't know for sure what happened to Felix. We do know he died. We don't know if he went to heaven or if he went to hell. We know he went to one place or the other. There's no statement anywhere that I'm aware that Felix trusted Christ and died a born-again believer. But he could have. He could have been saved. But listen to what he said. Some more convenient season. Some later time. When I have a better time, I'll consider this matter again. And the indication is silent after that. I suspect he died without ever coming to the Savior. Too set in his own ways. Too busy doing his own thing. Too involved with waiting. Procrastinating. Slothful with the most important thing of all. His own eternal destiny. 
and he died and there's no doubt I think in hell today. I'm wondering about everybody in this room. I'm wondering what you've done about Christ. I mean, the door's open. Christ came. I mean, he came 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross there. You know, all this work's a done deal. He's paid your penalty. He doesn't expect you to have a bunch of money. He doesn't expect you to be a lot better. He expects you to trust him and let him work on your life to change it for the better. That's the idea of Jesus Christ. And that's the message that's been standing there wide open for everybody for all these years. The question is not what everybody's done about it. The question is what have you done about it? I'm going to tell you, if you don't know Christ, I don't mean that you didn't make a profession of faith or get in a baptistry somewhere. I'm not, that don't count. What counts is what you do inside here with Jesus Christ. And if you haven't trusted him as your personal savior, you have one more opportunity. How many more? Nobody can say, at least not me, and I think no doctor could say. Only God knows for sure. But you know what you could do today? You could trust Christ and be saved and guarantee what's going to happen to you when you go to, to the grave. Your spirit will go to be with God. That you can get settled. But you can't wait. And no need to wait and put off saying maybe next Sunday while I have time to think about it, maybe after I talk to the preacher and die before that comes around and you find yourself in hell and say, God of heaven, why didn't I do it while I could? Why didn't I come while the door was open? Why did I wait? There's a song we sing as an invitation sometimes. Why do you wait, dear brother? Why do you tarry so long? The Father in heaven is calling. Trust him. Trust him. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to stand here and represent you today on this first Sunday of 2024. A call for us to not just plan to do good and have good resolutions, but a, a call for us to